0: spirit evermore. We praise you evermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. The gospel reading serves as the basis for our sermon this morning. God with us, why all the fighting and weeping? The creator, our God, is a God of justice. Psalm 9 verse 7 puts it this way. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. That was certainly how our early Christian forebears... Perceive God's work in Jesus as a work of establishing justice. Matthew, in chapter 12 of his gospel, describes Jesus' ministry in this way. Jesus, aware of the Pharisees conspiring to destroy him, withdrew from there. And many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. The God of justice comes to establish justice. I have recently read the novel, The Green Mile. I know it's a really, really old novel. I'm trying to catch up on my reading. And I'm gonna watch the movie soon. That's really old as well. But if you've watched that movie or read that novel by Stephen King, it is about the main character, John Coffey, who is on death row unjustly for a crime that he did not commit. The other main character, death row superintendent, Paul Edgecombe, seeks to prove the innocence, at least in his own mind, of John Coffey, who has miraculous healing powers granted by God. Now, watching the movie or reading the book might lead to a healthy debate about the death penalty, But there is no doubt in the book or in the movie that John Coffey is unjustly condemned to death. All of us have had experiences in our lives that we consider unjust. For example, I consider my own father's death at the age of 65 unjust. He was in my mind too young. He always strove to live by faith as a baptized child of God. And so for me, the question about his death is always, where is justice brought to victory? Our gospel reading seems to mock any possibility for the hope for justice. For death itself has become justice's mocker. Just listen. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Yesterday, the 28th of December, is Holy Innocence Day the day on which the church remembers the death of the baby boys of Bethlehem. That event and that story throws a giant wrench into our Christmas celebration. We just heard on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And that this one, born of Mary, is the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Yet breaking into our Christmas joy is a slaughter at the hands of an utterly paranoid ruler that cripples our sense of God's justice. If this is the Savior, full of grace and truth, then wherever God's grace and truth is, there should also be justice. God's justice. Why, then, is there all this fighting, even killing and weeping for the slaughtered babes? A voice was heard in Rama. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Certainly doesn't seem that God is establishing his throne for justice. How could God let this happen? Why? would God let this happen. To our understanding of justice, it is inexplicable, outrageous, maddening. So much for any hope for justice. In the light of this miscarriage of justice, our Christmas song seems empty. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. And with a very Scrooge-like voice, we are tempted to say, Bah humbug. But a Scrooge-like existence is no existence at all. We must ask, as we did last Sunday in Dr. Viker's sermon, Where are you, O God? Where is your justice, O God? Will you come and bring justice to victory? How do we find the answer? Well, Matthew points us in the right direction. Three times in this section of his gospel, he says that the events taking place, the escape to Egypt... The weeping over the slaughtered infants and Jesus coming from Nazareth were to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophets. Fulfillment of prophecy is the key to perceiving that God is establishing his throne or his reign of justice. But you're probably wondering, why should the fulfillment of prophecy matter to me well it matters because everything hinges on israel's story the future of the whole world hinges on israel's story the reign of god's justice for israel and for the gentiles for all of us hinges on israel's story Israel's story has been prophesied. The prophets foretold the various patterns of Israel's story. And one of those patterns is liberation, fighting and weeping, justice's reign. Isaiah 63, our Old Testament reading, provides the pattern. God saves Israel, seeking to establish his reign over the whole creation by liberating them from Egypt. As Isaiah says, For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old there is fighting and weeping. Because Israel rebels against God, pursuing her own desires to rule over herself. As Isaiah says, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So there was fighting between God and Israel, a much gnashing of teeth on Israel's part. As Isaiah said, God turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. But God's reign of justice will not be deterred. God will come and establish his reign over Israel again. As Isaiah says, he must lead his people and make for himself a glorious name. Liberation, fighting and weeping, justice's reign. Since Israel proves incorrigible, ultimately unrepentant, unwilling to let God rule over them, God brings into human life one Israelite in whom there is no guile. One faithful Israelite. God brings his word into human flesh, into that one born of Mary, the son she bears who will save his people from their sins. And not surprisingly, Jesus, Israel's pattern is Jesus' pattern. Liberation, as Isaiah 42 says, quoted by Matthew in chapter 12, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will liberate his people from their sins, and in his name the Gentiles will hope as well. But his liberation will only come through fighting and weeping. And there is fighting from the start. As Herod seeks to take his life and his parents must flee to Egypt. He will contend with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and weep at the graves of his friends. And death, that final form of injustice, will set its claws into him as he hangs and dies on the tree of the cross. Yet justice does not die at the cross. Although Jesus cries for justice from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God will answer him and raise him from the dead. Justice will be served on death when Christ rises from the dead. From then on, God's reign of justice has begun. Liberation. Fighting and weeping, justice's reign. As it was for Israel and for Jesus, so it is for us, God's new Israel. Liberation, as Isaiah said, we Gentiles hope in his name by becoming his disciples through baptism into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel is God with us who saves. As we heard last Sunday, here is a promise to which faith can cling. All well, fighting and weeping will continue. It's the pattern, remember? We will experience fighting. We will weep. As Paul says in Second Corinthians, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The battle with death is the battle for justice. Weeping will come, inevitably, yet justice will reign The reign of God's justice will finally come for us when the fighting and the weeping are over. As Jesus promises in Revelation 20, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Can you see the pattern in your own life? United to Jesus, it is the pattern of justice for you. So, are things unjust in this world? Why is there so much fighting and weeping in this life that comes from injustice? Listen to what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. God is with us. Death and all its minions like Herod cannot slaughter God's justice. Our creator has established his throne for justice in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ will come again to reign over his creation and to invite all his people, all of us, to reign with him. He will bring justice to victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.